start reading at verse 25. You'll find that on page number 977 in the church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, page 977. That's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. My name is Paul Rees, and I serve as the lead pastor here, and it's uh, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, Let's just ask God again to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son. Well, the words we're about to read are described by Peter Lewis in his excellent book, The Glory of Christ, uh, as the most profound statement that Jesus ever made of himself. All right? So what we're going to read here is, is the, according to Peter Lewis, the most profound statement that Jesus ever said about himself. So let's read it. And I, I want to acknowledge this morning, I've been very helped by uh, Peter Lewis's book uh, as I prepared uh, this week. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps you have uh, invited people to Christmas events in the past, maybe even uh, like the women's uh, Christmas craft event last week. I heard it went very well. Uh, maybe you've invited folk to carol services in previous years and they, uh, they said they would come and just last minute they kind of bail out and uh, they make their excuses and say, oh well, we, we, we can't come. Perhaps you've had the experience where you've even shared something of the gospel with your friends or your family. And after sharing that, the response really is something of disinterest. They're unmoved. You've had, well, you've seen others invite their neighbors to Christmas events, and uh, their neighbors came. And you've heard of others sharing the gospel with people and seeing people saved, but that's just not worked out that way for you. Now, how do you feel when that's the case? Well, it's pretty discouraging, isn't it? It's disheartening. Well, if that's you today, I want to encourage you by digging in a little deeper into what Jesus says in these verses. The observant among you will know that we actually looked at this back in October and that uh, we're well on in our Matthew series. But because I kind of pulled two texts together last week, I had a spare Sunday, and um, as I read this chapter of Peter Lewis about two or three months ago, many of the ideas there have 
percolated in my brain. And I want us to kind of return back to this passage and kind of mine it a bit more because I think there's much that would encourage us uh, at this time of the year. Notice the context in the verses just before uh, Jesus had been preaching. There'd been an extensive ministry. He'd gone around some of the, the towns and cities of, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And even as he'd been preaching, he'd not been seeing a large response. People had seen his miracles even. They'd heard his teaching, but it left many of them indifferent. So... Uh, It must have been discouraging, mustn't it? It must have been disheartening for Jesus to have experienced that, wouldn't you have thought? Well, that's the context. Unresponsive towns, uh, unmoved by his teaching, refusing to repent. And yet look at his response in verse 25. Jesus finds reasons to rejoice. Verse 25, I praise you, Father. He says. And perhaps if you are discouraged today, disheartened today, we can learn from Jesus how we can respond with praise and joy. Uh, Three reasons to rejoice from the Lord Jesus this morning. Little Nathan's beautiful, isn't he? Keep having them, I think they're great. Um, Three reasons to rejoice. From the Lord Jesus. Why does, why does he praise God the Father? Number one, for his sovereign good plan. Jesus turns from the discouraging results to recall the sovereignty of his Father over all things. Look at verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And we live in a world where, where people make their own choices. Some people make very wicked Choices and they're morally responsible for them. And yet over all these things, in ways that are still kind of hard for us to fathom, mysterious to us, Father God is still in sovereign control over all these things. He's Lord of the cosmos, Lord of our solar system, Lord of the galaxies. He's Lord of heaven. Uh, he's Lord over the events of history. He's Lord of the earth. And this is something praiseworthy to the Lord Jesus, even in his discouraging circumstances. And of course, it's something praiseworthy to all God's children when we really think about it. Our life is not subject to cruel fate. Our life is not subject to uh, impersonal, random chance events, to... um, to the wicked designs of terrorists or people who mean to do us harm or or crooked bosses. Our Father God is Lord of heaven and earth. And there's a specific reason here that uh, Jesus gives for rejoicing in the sovereignty of God. And, And it is in the sovereign way that God chooses to reveal the gospel of salvation. Uh, This good news of the kingdom. Look back at uh, verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned 
and revealed them to little children. While there had been much indifference and unresponsiveness, some had responded to the good news that Jesus preached. Why had some responded and others not? Well, Jesus acknowledges that this was part of God's plan. What causes Jesus to rejoice in the Father was the way he brought people into relationship with himself. And of course, when you think about it, we all choose who we allow into personal relationship with us, don't we? It's a choice we all have to make. Uh, just to put it on a kind of a, a bigger footing, you know, perhaps if you're out, you know, how would you, how would you get to know the Queen? How would you enter into personal relationship with the Queen? Well, a friend of mine happened to be walking in Norfolk near the Sandringham Estate, and out through the forest walked uh, the Queen and Prince Philip. And he's got the picture to show it. And, and, you know, if you go at the right time, you could maybe bump into the Queen. But it's one thing to bump into the Queen. But you know what? You're not supposed to speak to the Queen until she speaks to you. And until she initiates a conversation, it's kind of rude to kind of... Uh, to have the presumption to start one with her. And it could be quite another thing, wouldn't it, to suggest to her that uh, you're quite thirsty. It'd be lovely to come back to a place for a cup of tea. And, you know, put your feet up and have a chat. Get to know each other. You can't introduce that. You can't suggest that. It's up to the monarch to choose to do that. And so God, too, is in control of who gets to know him personally. But what delights Jesus here is the way that people come to personally know God. It is actually not because they went to the right schools. It's not because they were wise and intelligent. It's not because they're the clever people, the intelligent people, because they've studied hard and worked it all out. Often the problem for well-educated people is that they're very self-sufficient. That they can think that basically all of life's rewards um, and achievements are down to them. But to such self-sufficient people, God the Father hides himself. Instead, Jesus praises the Father that he delights to reveal himself personally to little children. Little children. Now when you go in a room and there's lots of little babies and toddlers and adults, who do you speak to? At the end of the day, most of us kind of go to the adults. Kind of overlook these little ones. Uh, These little children uh, is is a way of referring to those who don't seem to be that important. The least significant perhaps. Little children are completely dependent, aren't they, upon their parents. And it's people like that who are completely dependent are those that the Father chooses to reveal himself. That's what Jesus is delighting in. Because the way into the kingdom of God, the way we receive salvation promised in the gospel, the way to personally know God is by faith, by trust, by dependence in him. Now, of course, intelligent, smart people have become Christians uh, down through the centuries. But it's not because they were smart or clever. It's because they, they came exactly the same way that we all have to come, by personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people try and create their own philosophy of life, their own religious uh, worldview, their pick and mix of ideas. 
and uh, that they, they, they like, that are satisfying to them. But that's not the way into God's kingdom. We have to humble ourselves to trust what God has revealed himself in Jesus and in his words. And Jesus, even in the face of of indifference of many, he can rejoice and delight in God's sovereign purposes in revealing himself in the world. Verse 26, yes, Father. That note of affirmation, yes, Father. This was your good pleasure. And so my Christian friends... Um, don't be discouraged at indifference or people's unresponsiveness at this particular time. But praise God the Father that he's sovereignly chosen to reveal himself to you. How amazing is that? Uh, Barry was expressing that if, God, you know, if, if he was God, he wouldn't have picked Barry to do his work. But isn't that true of all of us? It, 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 would, if you were God, would you really pick people like you? On his team? Well, some of you are outstanding, I know, but many of us are pretty ordinary. How remarkable. What amazing grace that God should choose to reveal himself to us. Look around this room. I just love the diversity of this church. We've got very smart people with PhDs. We've got people who who haven't got that. who didn't quite make it out of high school and, and everything in between we've got people from all over the world young and old different personalities different temperaments and God in his amazing grace has chosen to reveal himself to each of us if we're trusting Christ today isn't that amazing what a privilege to enter into a personal relationship with the living God And if you're feeling discouraged, just look around. He's still calling people. Odd and unusual people like us. He's still doing it today. There's a second reason that Jesus rejoices in God the Father. And it is is this. It is because of his unique relationship to God. Listen to these extraordinary words of verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. This is the statement that uh, many have argued is the most profound statement that Jesus ever said of himself and his role in the world. And on this Advent Sunday, think about what this says about Jesus. Let's meditate on it. All things, he says, have been committed to me by my Father. We've kind of considered that God, uh, the Father, in his sovereign role over all things, Lord of heaven and earth, that God is sovereignly initiating and revealing himself to people. But here Jesus speaks of how he is an essential and crucial part in all of this. All things, he says, were committed by the Father to him. If the board was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the, the, the CEO, the chief executive of the divine will is Jesus. He brings to pass the, the divine uh, decrees, the secret purposes of God. He, in his own person, 
is the key fulfillment of God's eternal plan of salvation. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. Peter Lewis puts it this way. Eternal realities accompany him. Eternal destinies center upon him. As people hear Jesus, they hear God. As people receive him, they receive the Father. As people reject him, they repudiate forever the God who sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And this is why I think this is a great text for uh, this Advent season. Just think about this profound statement. No one knows the Son except the Father. Think about that. And especially when it's paired up with what comes next. No one knows the Father except the Son. Here we actually have an insight into the Trinity. That there is one God who exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a statement by Jesus that lets us see his essential being as fully God as well as being fully man. Especially when we put these things side by side. It speaks of a mutual relationship. Within God, Father and Son. The Son is as much a mystery as the Father, Jesus says. Who alone is capable of knowing Him. Only the Father really can know the Son. Now imagine if you were able to be there when Jesus said this. And you're looking at a man. And this man is saying these things. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this. Only God is big enough to comprehend me. Only God is wise enough to understand me. Only God is, is great enough to direct me, Jesus is saying. Extraordinary statements. Statements which backed up by his life are the very reason that Christians believe that the best explanation for the person of Jesus is that he was fully God and fully man. Now we value education in our society. This is a, uh, a city that values it. Uh, lots of private schools, lots of good state schools, four universities. And yet many have forgotten that the, the, the greatest knowledge you can have is the knowledge of God. But Jesus says here there is no greater his claim is that he surpasses all knowledge, for he claims to have a unique and absolute knowledge of God. Notice he doesn't say, no one knows the Father as well as I know him. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, no one knows the Father except the Son. He's the only one among men who knows the Father without distortion, without limitation. Jesus is saying that he knows God as well as God knows him. And his knowledge of God is, is unique precisely because his knowledge of God is exhaustive. And his knowledge of God is exhaustive because he's not one among many, but one apart from the many. He is the son whose knowledge rests not on something that he's acquired, but something that is his because of his eternal relationship with the Godhead. He is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. He is co-eternal and infinite with the Father and the Spirit. And it's because of this Trinitarian relationship that there's unmatched relationship and knowledge. It's just so deep what Jesus says here. 
And think about its significance. Think about what it says about other religions and philosophies of life. If this is true, then all of the counterclaims are false. If this is true, then all attempts for spiritual and religious knowledge that disregards Jesus are empty and delusional. You cannot know God the Father without God the Son. Now, there's no doubt we're in the deep end of the theological pool this morning. We're in the deep end when we think about the sovereignty of God. We've, we've had how Jesus could denounce the cities for their refusal to repent, and yet him rejoicing that God is sovereign in revealing himself. Now, that, that we're in the deep end of the pool. How do you hold those things together? But in subsequent verses, Jesus does. We're in the deep end of the pool here because we're talking about a, a being that, unlike any other, someone who is one and three and three in one. And that God, in his amazing grace, has entered into the world in his son Jesus, taken on flesh. And the right response, really, is to worship. Humble worship. Who's equal to these things? Who can fully grasp it? No, but we, we praise him that it's true. But Jesus goes on as he praises Father God, because not only of his sovereign good plan... But his, and his unique relationship, but thirdly, because of his unique role to reveal it. Verse 27 again, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Why did God the Son come into the world as Jesus of Nazareth? I suppose in the brilliance of his light, he could have merely showed us how much we were in the darkness, how much we were in the shadows, uh, of how alienated we were from God, of merely telling us of his unique relationship with the Father. He could have done that, but that's not why he came. To use the language of John, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus didn't come merely to pass on knowledge. He came to share it. And uh, it's more than sharing information. He came to bring salvation. The Son came to the earth to tell a fallen world that a holy and an outraged God has actually chosen to love this world. And that uh, he's calling people out of it to be sons and daughters of the kingdom of his kingdom. And what has been committed to Jesus is this uh, right as the Messiah King to reveal the Father's saving plan to a, to a needy, lost world, to men and women. It is God the Father's plan, but the Son is the great agent of it. His life, his words, his death, his resurrection is the means of our salvation forgiveness, adoption into his family, and our access into this loving relationship with the triune God. We cannot know everything about God. He's beyond us. But we can know God truly in part as we humbly put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And that's what Jesus offers here. And he offers it 
today right here in this church he offers it to you he delights in the father that the father's chosen to reveal these things through him and then he invites come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls I'd encourage you at some stage today or this week to pull this out and meditate upon it and pray on it and if you're discouraged to let the joy and delight of Jesus as he praises the Father to begin to permeate your prayers and your praise. You know, maybe people didn't turn up when you invited them. Maybe people at this point seem unresponsive, but there's still reasons to praise the Father. Praise him for the privilege that you know him. Praise him for the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is in all his uniqueness praise him that the son still delights to reveal the father that if the son comes up it's still a day of opportunity a day of invitation to point people to this Jesus and say who says come to me come to me don't give up inviting people even people who said no last year they might say yes this year what great opportunities we have to invite people to look at this amazing person, Jesus, God, the Son, the only one who reveals God, the Father. He's your loving Heavenly Father. If you're trusting Christ this day, you're not alone. His love is all about you. Rest in Him today. Let's pray.